if folks just listen, they'll hear credible people with credible stories that are winning, quote unquote, winning the game of work in a wildly different way than what I think most people think it needs to be. And then when they hear how these people talk and you can hear the joy in their voice, like that beats working. We don't have a quiet resignation on our side. Like (laughs) we're just having fun. This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. All right, Dan Rogers, welcome to the Beats Working Podcast. Thanks for having me. I, I It sounds a little bit funny to in, you know invite you to the thing that you created, but it sounds it feels really cool all at the same time. Well, uh, you've heard this before, and this is probably the right place to say it because it's completely true. Um, Once we added you to the team, there was a massive release and relief uh, of, yeah, now I think we're really ready to go. So thank you for joining us on the Beats Working Podcast. Yeah, and I think folks are going to be really happy you joined the team. Well, I'm super happy to be here, Dan. This is the inaugural episode of Beats Working, Winning the Game of Work. And, you know, I hope this first episode just really sets the table for people who are not familiar with you and not familiar with the podcast and and the mission that we are all on. But I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So let's let's just jump right in, Dan, and, and talk about how you came up with the idea of redeeming work, because we'll go back and talk about your early work life and and how your 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 view of work has changed and evolved, and now how you're instructing, um, you know what you know. But take take us back in time to the place where you decided, yeah, I got to figure out how to move the needle in the workplace. Well, I think it was. I'm gonna uh, answer it slightly different. So for me, where it started was in 1994. I was having a conversation with a mentor, and I said these guys are going to pay me to practice um, the principles that you want me to learn. And his response to me was, he said, Dan, to the extent that you can keep that will be to the extent that you don't work another day in your life. And so I've worked way more than my ego wants to cop to, but I've been paid (laughs) for way more than I've worked based on that criteria. And it was really in 1994 that I, I literally started saying to people when we were in that moment, when I was using those principles at work, there's a there's a joy that comes with that. And I would look at somebody and say, beats working. And it would freak them out because we were definitely working at the time, but I wasn't working. And so that's 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 where the name comes from. And and so then fast forward a little bit, I got uh, as I got more and more uh, uh, supervision and or supervisory roles and leadership and that sort of stuff. It just became obvious that the opportunity was there to, was to create that for everybody. So, so take us back in time, Dan, in terms of just your work life. What are some of the early jobs that you had and how did that shape you as, as a human? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I am, uh, my, my folks, uh, uh, got divorced before I remember. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm 53 in 2023. So, uh, Back when when she was a single mom doing the best she can, there's I have an older brother. Uh, it wasn't a super cool thing to be uh, divorced in general. It certainly wasn't a cool, glamorous thing to be a single mom. Um, and so she did the best that she could, and we we usually mostly always had what we needed. 
Uh, but if we wanted anything more than base minimum, it was, I mean, she made it very clear that it was for my brother and I to go get that. And she was helpful in uh, helping us find uh, constructive places that we could do that. So, I mean, I, um, I mean, I had a paper route probably by third or fourth grade, maybe I was helping out. Um, I, I mean, I was always sort of chasing after my older brother um, and he was usually pretty industrious around that stuff. So paper routes, odd jobs, helping around the neighborhood, that sort of thing. Yeah. From the very beginning. And then you got into moving. Was that as a teenager? Yeah. So I, um, I got recruited. I was a, wasn't a terribly good wrestler, but I wrestled as a kid and the guy that I wrestled with, he was a little bit older. Um, he was 18 at the time and I was only a sophomore in high school. And so he recruited me to deliver and install appliances. And uh, I'm, I'm a small guy, uh, but I was uh, at that point, I was pretty fit uh, and I'm, I'm uh, pretty strong for my size. So two little guys would jump off the back of the truck and deliver appliances, but we, we did pretty good. And, and I realized right away that if it had some sort of physicality to it, I was going to be better than average at it. And so um, I, I was a furniture mover. I worked some construction. I was mostly semi-skilled labor. Yeah, yeah. As I've gotten to know you, Dan, it seems like from a pretty early age, you not only were just doing the work, you were also observing the work and mentally kind of de deconstructing how parts and people were moving through the world, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think about it exactly this way at the time, but looking back on it, it's pretty obvious. So I was born with the brain that I was born with. We all are born with brains that we have. And mine is fairly obsessed with trying to get to the next version of next and getting closer to right. And so um, there is uh, uh, a real incentive when you're carrying a heavy piece of furniture to get there as quickly as you can without running into something <laughs> or without dropping it. And so, so, uh, and then in all seriousness, um, you know, I started doing that in the mid to late eighties and did that until the early nineties. And at that point, all the crews that I worked on, there was a real profession of furniture movers. And, and so there's a proper way to pick up a couch. There's a proper way to do all this. There was a right way to do everything on the job. And um, the right way to do all of it was also the least, the, the most efficient way to do it. And also the quote unquote cleanest way to do it. And um, that's a very, very tough business. It doesn't really exist anymore, but the people that survived in that were phenomenal operators because you just, the, the bad ones don't survive. You know, you can't, uh, the, the men and women that run the, ran those businesses back in the day, they were phenomenal, phenomenal operators because they had to be. So it wasn't surprising that the crews that I worked on were really great crews that they just, they just, I mean, that was how it had to be. There, there wasn't, there wasn't an option not to be right. Yeah. A big turning point for you in terms of just uh, growth is when you started working for a a little startup that was a, a burrito rolling company, a very well-known uh, now chain that started here in the Northwest. Tell me how that, uh, first of all, what were you, what was your first job there? And then take, take me through that story. It's a fascinating story of, of your growth, not only as, as an employee, but also as a manager and a business strategist. Yeah. So we're at 1994 at this point. And so professionally by 1994, I was, re I was regularly working a couple, three jobs. So I was moving furniture during the day, uh, truck driver. 
And then I worked in restaurants at night and on the weekends. And uh, so by the time I got to 1994, I was trying to get a college degree. I never managed to get one, but I was uh, taking college classes during the day. And so I needed a part-time job to sort of uh, round out the rest of the day. And so I, I went to work for Taco Del Mar. There was three employees, or excuse me, three three locations, 11 employees. Three of them were owners. And I was, I was hired to just close one of the restaurants. I was a closer uh, five nights a week. And uh, about the third or fourth day I was there, literally, a guy comes in right before close, and he orders a burrito, and he comments. He says, gosh, it looks like you're going to be out of here in a few minutes. And I said, yeah, I am, but I'm on the clock, so take your time if you want to eat. And then he said, well, I'm not going to pay for it. And I sort of was taken back, and then he pulled out his wallet, so I didn't think much of it. But he pulled out a business card instead of money, and he handed me the card, and it said, it had his name on it, and it also said founder of Taco Del Mar. And he said, I don't know if you knew this, the guy that hired you is my brother. And the first thing I do every day is I, I go to all three restaurants and 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 uh, take the money out of the safe and reconcile the books. And he said, this, this restaurant is cleaner than when we opened it. And you close faster than anyone I've seen. So I came here tonight just to see because I actually thought you were, you know, clocking out and then staying. So he asked me if I could train other people to do it. And I said, yes. And then he shared me the vision of the company at the time, which was to be Subway, but with uh, with burritos. And I had worked at a Subway before. And I was like, look, man, I, I've worked at Subway. This ain't anything like you. If you want Subway, I can give you Subway, but this ain't it. And so uh, from that point forward, uh, he and the other two owners, thank God they never gave me equity. I'd still be rolling burritos. But but they, they gave me um, sort of authority to start fixing bigger challenges with the company. I'm intrigued by that statement, Dan, that they wanted to be Subway. What, what, did, what was their vision then that, that wasn't sort of didn't reconcile? They wanted the scale and size of Subway, but they didn't understand that Subway had total standardization of process and had a system. And respectfully, I mean, like the, it's different ownership at Taco Del Mar than the guys that I worked for. But, but when I was there, I mean, I literally set the recipe. We didn't have a recipe because if you don't have portion control, then you don't have a recipe. So I was the guy that picked out the utensils that like, this is the sour cream utensil and this is how much we put on it. And this is the utensil to scoop protein. And this is how much it is. So, I mean, I st- they did not have a standardized experience. And the thing about moving furniture is it's standardized experience. If like, when, you know, there's a right way to pick up a couch. If I've never worked with you before, but we're both furniture movers, we can, we can move anything together. We don't have to talk about it. We just, we just go do it because we know what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah. you helped grow this chain. You wrote operating manuals. You wrote a franchise manual. I mean, you literally grew this this company. What did you learn, Dan, about managing people, and also about you know processes at the time? What did you learn? So, so I just want to go on the record on this one too. So, I I would borrow money to do that job. I used to say I would do it for free. I would borrow money to do that job. It was arguably one of the greatest professional experiences I've ever ever had. So the first thing is it demystified business because I thought business was like some sort of wizard that had, you know, this man or woman that had a great idea and they, they, they cast a spell. And it was like and, and what 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 those guys taught me was like, no, you you had to take a risk and then react to the marketplace quickly and learn in real time. And I was like, oh, I could do that. So I did that not only operationally, but also with people. Um I was sort of the fixer, and so it would not be uncommon for me to go into a location I oversaw the day-to-day operation. So I would go in to a location that was struggling, and I would fix it. 
Um, and I might have to come back in a few weeks and it was worse than it was before because it was a totally different staff. And the, the benefit that I had was we had a, we had a set model with standard standardized process, but we had a fairly decent churn of people. So I got a lot of practice managing people. <laughs> I got a lot, a lot of practice managing a supervisor and I needed it. I, I still need it today. It's, it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. One of your mantras, I guess we could call it, is you encourage all of us to make mistakes at full speed. And um, I've never heard that from a boss before. Uh, maybe I've heard it in different words, but I love how that sounds. Is that something you learned back in your Taco Del Mar days? Yeah, I, I, that was one of the principles that I was trying to learn just in general. And um, the idea, so my, my experience uh, prior to trying to live a different way was... Um, is I didn't know it at the time, but I was just terrified of life. That's just how it was. I was just really afraid. And so uh, one, you know, one reaction of fear is fight and the other one is flight. And then the third one is freeze. And so what I would do is I would just freeze and sit on the fence and then windows close eventually. And, oh, it wasn't meant to be. And so uh, when I made that decision to sort of go a different way, I was like, look, I'm going to make mistakes at full speed. I'm not going to wait for perfection. I'm not going to wait on any of that stuff. I'm, I'm going to learn anyways. I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly. So we're going to just make mistakes. And I say mistakes because that's how I think other people view them. I just literally view it all as learning. It's all just reference. It's all reference. So You told me a story one time that when you were training some of the staff there, you told one of the servers, if you act like a robot, you're going to get tipped like a machine. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. what was it about, about customer interface that, that you learned and, and taught at that time? So, I mean, and it's, I think it's fairly common at this, I mean, like you certainly hear it all over the place and I, I didn't use words like this, but to sort of translate it in 2023 talk is I was encouraging folks to be the, their authentic selves. I'm like, you gotta be you. So have a personality, even make one up. And this was of the era of Seinfeld. And I was like, you can even be the soup. You can be the soup Nazi. You can be the burrito Nazi. You can be a jerk to every single person that comes in. You just have to be a jerk to everybody and you'll get away with it. If you're nice to a couple people, then they'll just think that you're a jerk, right? And so I would encourage folks to have their own personality because I was just like, you know, it, it, at least you'll have some fun, right? And and obviously it needed to be, the, I'm, I'm hoping it would be their personality. They wouldn't create a character or whatever, but um, yeah, so that was, it just beats working. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about point-to-point -point transportation, Dan. Let's talk about the current company and, and how it got there. Um, it's an event transportation company. Um, tell me, help everybody who has not heard of point-to-point -point transportation, what it is and, and how you got to, to be uh, the owner of that. Yeah, so it, it's, it's sort of uh, several different tales, but just sort of global pandemic timeline. Um, so going into COVID uh, in 2019, we, were, we did somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10,000 events on five, uh, on five continents. And um, that's was the scale of the of the business. Um, an event for us might be a single box or several hundred trailers. Just sort of depends who the customer is and what's going on. And you're shipping stuff for companies, right? From point. Yeah, to point yeah. B. We were yeah. and we were starting to do other things in between events and doing some other things on event site for people. But the website, uh, so people understood exactly what we were. The website said we were an event shipping company. So we 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 just got it there. Uh, our job was just to create it, help create the environment and, and somebody else would actually figure out all the cool stuff that went on. And then, um, you know, since COVID we're, we're still that company as well, but we're, we're trying to do some, some different things with it. 
And, and so pr- running into COVID, we had been on the Inc. 5000 for seven years in a row. And um, that, that's, you know, where there's a lot of people that can, uh, uh, that get to take credit for that. Not, it's not just me, obviously. But, uh, and a handful of people knew about it and other business owners knew about it. And I, I never really bothered to explain it to them. I mean, it, we had made a lot of mistakes at full speed and we had done a lot of things intentionally, but we did it without sales and marketing. And I mean, literally without sales and marketing, we didn't have people called salespeople. We didn't have people that were salespeople that we called other things. We didn't do things that were marketing. We didn't do other things that look like marketing uh, and call them something else. We literally did not have sales and marketing. We had arranged and organized our business in a wildly different way that creates the byproduct of that creates that people ask to be customers. You don't have to ask them to be customers. They ask you to be customers. So that was, that's, that's what the company is now. So you ship uh, all kinds of stuff for huge companies, tech companies. You're really good at that. You don't, you didn't need a sales department because your reputation and word of mouth. And so tell me how you structured point to point transportation, Dan, based on all the lessons that you learned from those early days up until now. I'd love for you to share some, some insight to other business owners who might start thinking about doing it a, a little bit differently. Yeah. So, um, when I started, I was actually, uh, so I, I started as a salesperson. That was my title. Uh, thank God they didn't give me any training cause I would have had to unlearn it all. But, <laughs> but, um, so I had a basic idea, like I was supposed to call people and crack them over the head and drag them back to the cave. And like, that's like, that's my job, you, you know? And the owner even told me, you know, you'll, you'll eat what you kill. Uh, I was hundred percent uh, commission. And so, so, um, uh, initially I started calling people and because we were, I was selling specialized transportation. So in the, in the mid to late nineties, that was something big and expensive or at least big and difficult to move or small and difficult to move or small and expensive, whatever. So it's actually pretty easy to find a quote unquote qualified prospect because they, you know, it was a tangible asset that we were moving. And so it, I, I, I went to the, the library and got the manufacturer's guide and, and, and I called. And, and at that point, people still had careers that were like a role for, for several years. So it was actually quite easy to get a meeting with folks. It was very, very easy to get appointments. When you showed up, you, the, you were, the expectation was, is that you could sell something. And uh, I showed up and I didn't know how to sell anything, but I did. I did. I was, I'm pretty, pretty curious person. And so I just asked them a bunch of questions about what, they were trying to accomplish. And then in very short order, I realized what we were good at versus what the quote unquote competition was good at. And so I was essentially, I became like a freight consultant, not a freight salesperson. And uh, in very, very short order, that led to tremendous success. I mean, when you talk to someone in a sales meeting and you refer your competition because they're a better fit or you suggest that they change something so they don't need to work with any of us knuckleheads and their life just improves. They tell people about that. And so by the time I was about 18 months into being a quote unquote salesperson, the phone was, they were calling us and asking so-and-so said, I should talk to you, you know? And, and so that, that was intentional by design was, you know, the idea was that we wanted to go create value because I didn't know how to sell anything. I, I just I just knew how to fix problems. I, I intimately understood how to move things through time and space. So that's what I could help them with. I didn't know how to 
I didn't know how to get them to pay us or select us, but I could fix their problem. And that sounds sort of ordinary, and, and a lot of people uh, might be doing that, but that isn't the way that jobs are structured. That's not what salespeople... What, what salespeople are told to do and what salespeople are paid to do are two wildly different things. And in very short order, they respond to what they get paid for, not what they're told. told. Right. Yeah, I've seen... How many times do you, do you hear that? I mean, salespeople are measured, you know, purely on sales. How much did you bring in? And it sounds yeah. like what you're talking about is, you know, rewarding people on something like how many relationships did you form? How many people did you help as opposed to just pure sales? I got paid on what, on what we killed. I got paid on what we brought in. The issue was, is I didn't, I was so happy to be alive. And I had that sort of beats working, literally. I mean, I was thrilled to be alive. I, I mean, that was just, it was, I couldn't believe that, that I got to, at the time I got to wear a suit with a tie and people, I, I told my dad, I said, these people are paying me to think. I can't, I mean, I, cause I had carried couches or like I had to bring you, I had to bring you the food. I had to cook the food or I had to move something for you to pay me. I'm like, you want me just to think? Holy smokes. I can think. Right. So, uh, I mean, I was just so happy to help people. Because it was so much better than carrying couches. Um, so that, that really, I mean, that, that honestly was what it was all about. And so, so um, that was the core of what would sort of get us to a totally different place was, was I thought our job was to basically help people figure out what they wanted in our space, not and I think what salespeople are told is how many people did you convert? And all we were trying to do was inform them like, Hey, this is what your preferences are. And based on what your preferences are, these are the companies that will be a really great fit for you. If you're one of these really wackadoodle people, then you can work with us, but we actually have a fairly tight requirement for you to be a customer. And so that was really what, what we were doing, you know, as a team is that we were selecting the people that we wanted to work with and we were sending the other people to the competition. When did you decide, Dan, to go from business owner of point-to-point -point transportation to, um, I'm just going to say business mentor, someone who wants to teach how this stuff works? You started Work Point-to-Point. -point. This podcast is part of that new company that you've started. When did that happen? When did you decide, I want to go from business owner to, to something more than that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you know, looking back on it, it's sort of a natural progression. At first we were trying to teach it internally and then COVID happened and gave us, gave most of us a really big pause. It certainly gave us a pause. I didn't have anything to do. Um, I have a couple really large networks, one of which is business owners. And so I called this, the business owners that still had operating businesses. And I said, look, uh, my problems are horrific, but they're simple. I've made the tough decisions. We've taken the tough actions. I've thrown up in the garbage can. I'm now waiting. Uh, I'd really like to help you solve your problems of trying to operate through this global pandemic. Can, can I be helpful? And that led to some free consulting, which eventually some folks said, hey, you've been helpful enough. We'd love to pay you. And then about six months into that, maybe four or five months into that, um, two different people who have since met but didn't even know each other at the time both said to me, they're like, the way that you talk about sales and marketing that isn't sales and marketing, you, you, you really should do this for a living. You should do this. And so 
um, that's a very long drawn out way of saying as I did what I've always done, which is I show up, try to be helpful, try to fix, uh, try to help people fix their problems. And when the market tells us we've got a good idea, then we say we've got something. So we had a COVID baby. Uh, it's the company was called Sales Sidekick, and we're rolling all of these activities together because it's all based on the same principles as work point to point. And so um, the short answer is is we made the decision to do this when the marketplace said they were ready and that there was value in it. So that's that's what we're trying to do now is work P2P hopefully will demonstrate what we to believe what we believe to be true about how uh, an organization uh, can operate legally for profit, but set up on the principles that we believe to be true, which are in some cases contrary to what typical businesses run by. One of the first five episodes is going to be with Jeff Koss from Koss Taylor, a manufacturing company in Muckleteo. You, you turned me on to Jeff, and um, you know he's one of the guys that you're really inspired by, Dan. T- talk about Jeff Koss and and why he is so inspirational in your mind to to how business should be done. Yeah. So a little backstory. Just I mean, he's got a great interview, but um, so literally one of the smartest people I've ever known like top five, like brilliant, brilliant guy calls me one day and he's like, Hey, have you heard about this waste tour at Cos Taylor? You should go. And single worst piece of marketing of all time is the waste tour at Cos Taylor. So, so waste tour? That's what they call it. That's what they were calling it at the time. Right. <laughs> right. And I told this is Jeff. Jeff's heard all this before. It's like the single, but, but this, uh, this is pull though. Right. So my buddy James says, you gotta go. But because it sounded so awful, I didn't even bother. So he was working at a very large, successful company at the time. I knew that, right? So he's cool enough that he got recruited by places that didn't get that don't even do recruiting. So he's now at a different, even more successful company than the one he was at before because they hired him away. And he said, hey, did you ever come up here? Because I swear to God, this guy is you. You are the same guy. You're even in the same business. And so at that point, I was like, okay, wait a second. James is really smart. This is now the second time he should tell, he's told me I should go do this. I should just go check it out. So I went to check it out. And uh, if you haven't, they've got a lot of different ways that I'm sure in Jeff's interview that you'll be able to find to get a hold of them, cost pass, a whole bunch of things. Um, it's amazing. It's, it is amazing. Uh, they, they, I, uh, I'd like to think that we're on... Uh, uh, a similar journey. I'd like to think that Jeff and I have a lot in common. We're just uh, maybe a, a decade plus, maybe a decade and a half behind him in our journey, uh, but we're trying to close ground. And he's very generous with his wisdom and learnings and his mistakes as well. So yeah, no, he he's um, doing a lot and has been. Their team has been doing a lot of the things in their way, in their own in their own intentional demonstration. Um, yeah, we're we're not trying to. Uh, we're, we're trying to copy them, but in our own unique way as well. Yeah, Jeff's uh, mantra and business model is developing people first and says everything else will follow from that. And it kind of reminded me of a conversation we had a while back talking about the Mariners when they won 116 games. And you said they didn't have the best individual players in baseball, but what they did have is a team. Talk, mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit, and this is where, you know, I mean, I'm happy to 
tell the people that we've copied off of, I've got nine restraints. Number five is don't be arrogant. Copy off the smartest kids in class. I'm happy to point those people out. And Jeff is and will continue to be uh, a mentor and a guide and a friend. Um, but some of this I had into had intuitively or, or based on those principles. That's why my buddy James said you guys are the same guy. And so I bought the company because I wanted people to have the opportunity that I had. I went from six bucks an hour to, I don't want to tell you what I made, <laughs> a lot more than that, <laughs> uh, to signing the checks, to having multiple businesses, to having all that stuff. And I was like, if we do this right, this same opportunity should be afforded to everybody. And so that's where Jeff and I are similar is I, I, I wanted, I wanted like people like, Oh, you should write a book. You should do this. And I was like, you don't understand. Like I want to employ thousands of people who have sold thousands of books. I don't want to write one. I want, I want to be on top of something that creates that level of, of uh, excellence. So that's a little bit of the motivation as to why I bought the company when I did in terms of the interactions amongst the team. Um, you know, Again, we all intuitively understand this. We just don't go do it, right? So we've all heard, you know, synergy is, is you know, the exponential combination of parts, you know. Um, and so it really, it boils down to a team is the product of its interactions. It's not the sum of its parts. It's the product of its interactions. And when we were talking about the Mariners, I was like, I don't think other than Edgar playing DH, they probably didn't have the single greatest position player on on their roster. But clearly, at least in the regular season, they had the best interaction of of the team. And I mean, two outs, so what? Like, you know, I mean, they, they, they came like you could just count on that team that somebody would step up to play their part when it needed to be played. And, and so again, we all understand this, but that's not how business is set up. Incentivizing a salesperson by commission is not, <laughs> is not the interaction of the internal parts. It might be the interactions of external parts, but it's not the interactions of, it, of the internal parts by any far stretch. Dan, tell me more about how you want to help transform business leaders. Um, you have a goal of redeeming work you want to make the workplace and how we show up in the workplace more honorable. But give me some practical ways like, you know, a business leader is listening to this podcast. And what are some things that that person could, could start to think about when it comes to doing business a different way that honors people in a more genuine way? Yeah, I mean, I, what I would say is I have yet to meet a person, in all seriousness, I've yet to meet a person uh, and I've yet to hear a story of a person as an individual who's done it honorably, right? That can brag about how they did it, that hasn't put these principles that we're talking into play. What I would say to a business person is don't lose sight of what made you successful. Just because you have a group of people doesn't mean you have to start being smart and optimizing and all this other nonsense that leads to, to, destroying the interactions right um uh you know there's usually two types at least small business owners that are growing their businesses there's usually you know there, there's the one that, that's sort of like the rainmaker person you know he or she's out there in the marketplace and they're just out attracting relationships and and people love them all that and then there's 
the sort of internal, you know, wizard or whatever that is a, just a great artesian. And that man or woman is just so phenomenal at what they do that the marketplace is like, oh my God, you, you, you've got to, you, you, you just got to work with this person. But then they bring people onto their team and they start acting like a boss instead of being what they're great at, which is just continue to, to, to coordinate that interaction. And if they focus on coordinating interactions in an honorable way, in a way that they could brag to their, to their loved ones about, not about like how much they move the needle or how many dollars, but like, hey, this person showed up and I was there for them as a human, <laughs> right? And we've got systems at our workplace that allow for that. And we've got systems in our workplace that allow for us to be humans. It's not surprising that incredible results fo follow behind that. It's just not. Like, it's just not, right? And if we go back to the Taco Del Mar story, when I told people, if you show up, if you act like a robot, you'll get tipped like a machine. If you show up like a person, people will tip you like a machine. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, right? So if if you're a boss and you show up like a boss, they'll treat you like a boss. <laughs> if you show up like a person who genuinely cares about them as a person, they'll they'll think it, right? Right. And and uh, and and consequently, you know, they're, they're likely to bring a much level, a higher level of effort to work. And then the people they're interacting will sense that and that will start to create pull. And and obviously, if you do that, some people are going to grow and develop right out of the company. Of course, they will. That would be and to me. If, if you want to have metrics like metrics would be is how many people did we graduate from our system? You know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a way better, that's a way better measure than, you know, how many did we force to stay? Yeah. Which is what retention is. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about poll during our, our time, Dan. And one of your rules is that the universe is a pull, not a push. Um, for people who haven't heard that concept before, um, explain that. Yeah, so just to be somewhat factually correct, uh, the universe has many forces in it, right? <laughs> and pull and push are probably, you know, um, they barely make the appetizer page of the menu in terms of the menu that <laughs> what the universe has. Um, so it's a little bit of an intentional simplification on my side that I say the universe is a pull system. Until I until I master until I master pull, which is gravity, until I can <laughs> fly. I should probably stay in my lane and keep right sized because pushing definitely doesn't work. Right. And, and forget all the other forces that are available out there. Right. Like those are way beyond my pay grade as well. So, so like if we push on somebody, every action has a reaction. We all know, like there's only, there's only a couple, three things that can happen. If I push, you're going to push back. If I push, I can knock you over. Right. Or I can push and I, I don't move you. Like, you know, I didn't push you hard enough. Well, that's, my my ego is such is that I I have I can push like I have a pushy personality, but I actually want you to come along because <laughs> you want to come along. So so what what I what I was shown and what I've seen in my own practical experience in every facet of my life is that if I create an environment of pull, there's a whole bunch of people that just pass. And that's okay, but but the few that actually pull, they're here and they want to be here, and you know, if we talk about the business, we talk about point to point, there was a whole bunch of customers that passed and didn't stay or didn't ask. But the ones that do ask, the ones that do pull, they stay. They stay for a very long time. 
Yes. And you do great work for them. So that pull is essentially just doing things in a way that attracts other people to you. Yeah. It's in alignment with not trying to defy gravity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's staying grounded on earth and like, you got to know who you are, know what, know what your unique, unique contribution is and, and staying inside of that. Yeah. So part of the new business that you've created, Dan, is uh, the sidekick process. So you're, you're sidekicking uh, businesses and organizations. Um, for lack of a better term, you're, you're helping them go from where they are right now to where they want to be. That sidekicking yeah. process and how you and I met last fall is uh, a personal development sidekick uh, curriculum that you developed called Intentional Sidekick. I was super impressed with that. It's about how, how we get what we want in life through intentionality and organization. And I was super impressed, impressed enough that I said, who is this Dan Rogers guy? Um, help people understand what that sidekick pro, uh, process is and why that's important to this whole business model you've created. Yeah, so it, it literally is just the fractal off of what I was doing when um, when I was quote unquote selling stuff. Um, uh, and I and I where when I started having success selling, um, I I uh, I got really 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 systematic, and because um, as I've already shared, I, I I didn't know how to sell anything, so I just interviewed people. And so at first, and at first I was just trying to interview them just to find out, you know, was there like how much opportunity was or wasn't there. And that was pretty easy to do. But then in the course of them answering those questions, I also got to find out like what type of person they were. And I was, I mean, I was generalizing for sure. I mean, I wasn't like getting, you know, it was usually only about 30, 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes long to go run through the whole thing. But I asked them the same questions every single time and in the same order. And what I was doing was graphing out. <laughs> what I was going to do with them. Like, I mean, there was, I, there was going to be four quadrants and they were going to be in one of the four quadrants and each one of the quadrants had an action for them. And, and only one was to work with us. The other three was to work with somebody else. And, 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 um, and we systematized that. Uh, I mean, we literally systematized it. And so when I took a look at that and saw what we're really doing, I saw, Oh, this is all we're doing is helping people really figure out, first a little bit of who they are, right? And then we figure out, well, what they want and then how to get it. And if you've been on that path before, then you, you should be able to sort of be out in front of them. So the sidekick process is just nothing more than that. And so um, we can do that with individuals because we understand the game of life a little bit. We can certainly do it with business people because we understand the game of business. Um, and so that really is the sidekick process. It's nine activities um, uh, sequenced, uh, and, and, uh, figure out who you are, figure out what you want, figure out how you, how you want to get it. And with all this stuff, I don't know that we've, uh, figured anything out. We, uh, at most, we usually just remind people what someone smarter than us has already figured out somewhere in history, or we might sequence things differently or bring some things together that weren't normally together. But that's the sidekick process. It works for individuals. It works for teams and it works for organizations. That's cool. So you're the sidekick, the business, the organization is the superhero. It's kind of a kind of a cool cool model, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I with my zippy personality, good, bad, right. I mean, I wanted a different word. I didn't want sidekick. I didn't want any of that stuff. But I knew intentional. Like I knew the first the first part of my title. I knew I had like intentional. I can get behind that. Like and, and good, bad, right, or wrong. I have been incredibly intentional for thirty years. 
Uh, doesn't mean I've been a great guy all the whole time, but I always knew what I was doing. I'm good, bad, right or wrong. And then, unfortunately, the best way that I can show up is a sidekick. And and I, I'm not I'm not saying this to be cute. This is straight up. This is just as as real as I can make it. If the building is on fire, and I tell people we have to leave, no one moves. If I just show up and help out, like the entire room gets behind me. So like it's just how it is. Like I, I'm I'm an intentional sidekick whether I want to be or not. Um, that's that's definitely my best version. So. Um, and then what's also sort of cool about that is, is that I think most people think they want to be a superhero, right? But once you get any sort of flavor of being a superhero, I've obviously had some success. I've been around a lot of successful people. The really successful people that understand how they were successful, they know that it was, they just get the trophy, that there was all these other people that contributed. They get, they get to be the face or the name or whatever, but obviously it's always a group. It's always we it's never a single person that does any of this stuff. So once you get any real flavor for that, you're like, well, I owe it to them to find other people to help out, right? And it, I don't know how it is. I just know that this is how it is. My greatest joys, hands down, in every walk of my life is when I've been a part of something way bigger than what I could accomplish myself. And I've had a couple, like a couple moments where I was the guy or I got the credit for it. And that didn't suck. It's just not nearly as cool as being a part of something way bigger than yourself. And sometimes even making a very small contribution, even semi-inconsequential contribution to something way bigger than yourself is just way cooler than like being the guy that hits the home run. It just, I mean, it's, it, it just, it just is. And, and uh, that's the message that we're trying to share and give uh, some folks some intentionality about how they can be that person if that's, if that speaks to them. Last year, you hired a couple of my former colleagues from the television world, and that's how we all connected with the Intentional Sidekick series last fall. And um, I was I was super impressed, Dan, and the fact that we're sitting here today speaks to your ability to inspire people and to create a team that really wants to make a difference in the world. And and this is no small investment on your part, and I think we're all aware of that. I guess what I'd love to to wrap things up with, Dan, is I know that you want this podcast to be an interactive platform where business leaders can gather and learn and share ideas, but how do you hope to move the needle over the next one, two, three years? Well, I'm, I'm hoping at first that this will be an intentional demonstration on, on multiple levels, but if folks just listen, they'll hear credible people with credible stories that are winning, quote unquote, winning the game of work in a wildly different way than what I think most people think it needs to be. And that's sort of what I'm just hoping as a baseline is that they go, wow. And then when they hear how these people talk and you can hear the joy in their voice, like that beats working. <laughs> I'm like, try our way. Cause it's a hell of a lot. I mean, your way, like, like we don't have a quiet resignation on our side. Like <laughs> we're just having fun. So, so on a, just a base level, we're hoping for that. And then as, as we get a little bit off, off the ground on it, we're hoping that we can essentially curate an ecosystem for like-minded folks to come in and make mistakes at full speed and learn together. I mean, we're really hoping to develop a community of, of learners where we get to learn from each other about how best to do this. So we'd like to dent um, this mission of redeeming work, 
at least scratch it. You know what I mean? As a furniture mover, I was like supposed to move it without touching it. But we want, I mean, I want to leave a mark on work. Well, Dan, this has been so much fun. Uh, Super inspiring to spend time with you and can't wait to uh, let people hear the rest of the episodes as, as we go forward. And as you've said, Beats Working. It sure does. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Mark. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Beats Working, part of the Work P2P family. New episodes drop every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.